0: Hey friends, welcome back to the equestrian podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 173. Our guest today is one of the most well-versed and most educated clinicians and trainers that I think I've ever come in contact with. She knows so much about so many different equestrian disciplines. It's unbelievable. She teaches clinics all over the country, all over the world, really. And she is working on a book that goes live in the beginning of next year with Trafalgar Square Books, all about being an athletic equestrian and how to really have strength in the saddle to perform your best. She also founded the Athletic Equestrian League, and she is one of the clinicians and representations at Equitana USA that is going to be an amazing live event this year, October 1st through 3rd in Lexington, Kentucky at the Kentucky Horse Park. So, so many fun things to talk about. So, without further ado, I would love to welcome our guest today, Sally Batten. Tell me a little bit about how you kind of first found yourself in the horse world and then we'll we'll get to your story of kind of how you got to where you are today and all the amazing things you're doing now.
1: Okay, well that that's a kind of an interesting story because a, a lot of people that are riders grew up in the country mm-hmm. or you know their families were involved or that kind of thing. But I came into it a little, well, not that unusual. I started riding at camp. So so I grew up in a city in Canton, Ohio. And, you know, there was really no, there was a stable in the neighborhood. I I really didn't have a lot of exposure to horses, but I loved animals. I was a little bit of a freak in my family because my parents, it's not that they hated animals. They just, you know, they didn't really it it wasn't part of our growing up, but my mom did indulge me. And we had, uh you know, dogs through the years. Love so I, lo- I loved animals. I read a lot of books. And of course, all girls love horses, right? But totally. in, in fifth grade, I went to Camp Tippecanoe in Ohio. And it was there that I learned how to ride. And then eventually, I ended up once I got a little older, like maybe seventh grade, I could do a whole week of ranch camp. So I started Riding western and bareback—that's how I learned—and just absolutely fell in love with horses. And my parents were lovely, and at least me, one of the camp horses for the the winter. And that kind of was the start of everything, really. And then I moved on to another horse and and rode saddle seat, and eventually ended up with a Morgan horse. Now my, my aunt and uncle in Michigan did have horses, specifically Morgan horses. So there was that family connection, but I just loved Morgan horses. So I had this horse and I showed him saddle seat. I rode him Western and eventually rode him hunt seat. And then it was time to go to, go to college. And, and I, my two interests was, were I either was going to be a vet or go into horses, and my dad was an executive at a at a major company, and he was like, "Horses, uh, I'm not so sure." So, they encouraged me to go do pre vet, but I took Chem 101, and I just that that wasn't for me, you know.
0: Sure. So, yeah.
1: so I transferred to Lake Erie College in Ohio, and I majored in Equestrian Studies in English. And when I graduated, I got a job at Centenary College, which is now Centenary University in Hackettstown, New Jersey, as the stable manager. And after a year, the directors changed and the director, Bunny O'Connell, uh, who I really credit with, with my whole the rest of my equine career, said, what are you doing as a stable manager? You need to be in the equine studies program. So Mm. I started teaching in classrooms. I was the assistant coach of the IHSA team, the Intercollegiate Horse Show Association team, and uh, taught riding classes and, and took the kids to shows and all that kind of stuff. And then after six years at Centenary, the job at Dartmouth College, which is in Hanover, New Hampshire, opened up and I applied and I got it. So at age 29, I became the director of riding and the head coach of the uh, varsity equestrian team. So that, that's kind of the thumbnail, <laughs> thumbnail look at, at how I got started.
0: Totally, and from there, I mean, when you were finishing up college and looking to kind of transition into your professional career, did you think that that's um, where you're going obviously you were studying equine studies what was right. your what was your goal at the time with that with that major?
1: Well, you know it's funny I look back i I kept you know like a writing diary back in seventh and eighth grade, and i I'd, I'd write down. All of my dreams of of horses, and it, and in that diary, I say, I say, I really think that a, a career in horses and horsemanship is what I want to do. So teaching. So I just saw myself as as a riding instructor somewhere. I really never, mm-hmm. at that time, looked beyond. Even when I was in school, you know, I, d- I didn't really have a a set kind of. Goal that I was trying to manifest. Although I, I have to say, I am a very competitive person, and and you know, I go after what I want. So,
0: as a lot of so, us equestrians are.
1: Yes, <laughs> I know, I know. We're we're we have that similar uh, as a similar trait, don't we?
0: Totally, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. tell me a little bit about what happened between there, and then you had an amazing experience as a coach for the equestrian team at Dartmouth. So tell me a little bit about how that all transpired.
1: Well, just you know years and years of of coaching the team and and I really I really learned as I went. As I as I said recently and and I don't know if it was my own podcast or or an article about me or something, but I, I said I really definitely got better as I went along. I think I'm a much better trainer than I am uh, now than I was in the beginning and you know I just I just listened I kept learning it's so important if I can't stress that enough to your listeners keep learning you you do definitely do not know everything and mm-hmm. and really it's you just need to be think of yourself as a lifelong learner
0: absolutely and I think so. that's kind of the beauty of our sport that you can be heavily involved in our sport, you know, well into your 60s, 70s, you know, whatever. And so I love hearing from riders and trainers or just equestrian professionals that have been in the industry for decades and decades and how they will still say, I am nowhere close to knowing it all. It's like the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know.
1: Um, Absolutely. And you need to stay open to that. And, and, and just constantly learn and, and that's what I did. And, you know, I had a lot of great mentors along the way and, and a lot of people that helped me. And, and I think it just, you know, got me to this point where I could actually, you know, research and, and write a book, which I'm sure we'll be talking about, but, but all those years coaching at Dartmouth, I just loved coaching that college student age. It's also, I have to say for, for any of the equine professionals that the college world is a great place to be because you get benefits, you get vacation, you get health benefits, you get retirement, you know, but besides the satisfaction of of teaching these college kids. It's just a wonderful, wonderful career. And for me, it provided my house. I lived right on the, the farm at Dartmouth. Oh, nice. So, yeah, And I brought up three kids there. So, you know, you know, comparatively, like there, there are people that, that are professionals and in, in really good years, they make more money. But, you know, when you're in the college situation, you're getting a salary. And if, if the, you know, if the the economy tanks, you're still going to get paid. So I always tell young professionals that it's a a great place to be. But it was was really great through the years. I got very involved in the Intercollegiate Horse Show Association. I was a regional president. I was on the board. I was eventually the national steward of the whole organization. And the, the Dartmouth team really had some some great successes and Ivy league champions and regional champions and national success. So it was really a career for me and I learned a lot and had a lot of fun.
0: How would you recommend other equestrians who are looking to learn more and, and kind of get more experience but just to to continue being that lifelong student like you were saying where what are some tips that you would have for us and you know kind of the the route to kind of gain some of that knowledge
1: Yeah boy that's an interesting question so so if they're if they're very young like entering college I I highly recommend an equestrian studies or equine studies. If and if you even if you don't major in it, even if they have a minor, it's just a great place to network. But but even if you don't do that, so let's say you're you're out teaching somewhere, you're a trainer at a at a private barn, just tap all of the resources available to you. Obviously the the owner of your barn, if it's not you right away, you know, you're gonna you're gonna talk to them and and kind of ride with them. And, and as many people as you can ride with, clinic opportunities like Equitana that we're going to be talking about, that, that you can, you know, ride with nationally ranked clinicians, anything that you can do to just keep improving and learning. I also highly recommend getting certified as an instructor. There are many different Paths that you can go. I'm an American Riding Instructors Association certified trainer. I'm a USHJA certified trainer. You know, any any opportunity that I could get to get more training and and certifications and that sort of thing, I did so you know, I think that, that that's important. There's the Certified Horsemanship Association, you know, anything like that, in case you don't have, you're not in an area where you can tap local trainers, you know, as you know, Bethany, there are horse rich areas, right? The mm-hmm. the, the Northeast, the, the tri-state area, New York, New Jersey, Florida, certain places in the Midwest, California, but some of those other kind of far flung states, you just you, you need to find the opportunities that you can and, and just open up your horizons to any kind of clinician or opportunity that comes your way.
0: What are your thoughts? You were talking about certifications. What is your two cents about these types of certifications and how obviously you strongly recommend them? They're not required to be right. considered a trainer. What What are your kind of two cents on that?
1: Well, my two cents is are that to me, it's somewhat horrifying that like to cut hair in this country you have to have a nationally recognized certification right to be a golf professional you go through the the PGA school that are that are all over the country and yet in for us to teach riders on 1200 pound animals there is no required certification so even though it's not required, uh, there are some states, I know Massachusetts have to go through their certification program, but I don't know a lot about it. But even though it's not required, I highly recommend that young professionals get some sort of certification because it it, it tells your clients that you went the extra mile in order to try to achieve this certification. Right. So, Yeah.
0: I agree. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about how you went from, or kind how, how you kind of started the process of opening up your business to travel and to teaching clinics all over right. the country, and you know, right. all all over the world. Really, now, how did you go from you know teaching where you're located to really kind of opening up that to other clients and other other people wanting to learn from you?
1: Right. Well, it, you know, it's it's kind of interesting how that happened, but. Once again, it's because I was working in a college. So I would have prospective students come to Dartmouth and the the students would, some of them were involved in the Pony Club, the United States Pony Club. So I know that, you know, Pony Club has multiple disciplines, including polo cross. And in 1990, my book called Polo Cross Australian Made Internationally Played was published. So some, you know, some people in the polo cross world, it's not a huge world, but in in Pony Club, it's pretty, it's pretty big. There are quite a few polo cross riders, but some of these Pony Club prospective students that were coming to Dartmouth had just, you know, heard of me because of the polo cross connection. So that's really how I started doing clinics. I had a parent who was involved in a pony club in Alaska, and they invited me to come out to Alaska and do both jumping and pull across clinics. So that, that's how that started. And then the same thing happened with some Hawaii pony club prospective students, and, and they had me do... Mostly jumping and, and flat clinics. I also teach Western when I, when I go to Hawaii because, you know, it's all basically the same thing, right? And uh, as far as position and, and good hands on the horse and, and understanding legs and seats. And then I even got the opportunity, a uh, family came from Cape Town, South Africa, and they weren't interested in the polo cross but they said oh we'd love to have you come to cape town and teach some clinics so i did that one year and then i had the honor of going back the following year where i actually taught a clinic on us equitation for about 30 coaches from all over south africa oh wow yeah so that that was that was really Really uh, cool experience, and of course, when I go to all these exotic places, I also get to. In South Africa, I got to go on safari. When I go to Alaska, I get wow. to go on a float plane over and and go to Katmai and walk with the grizzly bears. So
0: and cool. In
1: Hawaii, I got to go shark cage diving. So, yeah, it, it's all it's all been. Very good. And I always say polo cross has been very good to me, but it's bigger than that. Horses have been very, very good to me.
0: Totally. And I feel like with our world and what we do, we rarely give ourselves days off. And so the fact that you're able to travel a little bit and and mix a little business with pleasure is sounds like a good gig.
1: Yes, yes. Yes, I'm very lucky.
0: Tell me a little bit about your book because I know that that's something that is in the works and is going to be available yeah. in a few months. So, tell yes. me a little bit about how that got started and a little bit about what it's about.
1: Yes. Well, basically, the book is called The Athletic Equestrian, and I wanted to write a book about all the things that I teach to all my students in in my clinics. So, and all of the things that I've learned. Teaching my Dartmouth students. So, what I always say when I go teach a clinic is I teach my clinics a lot like I taught my team practices. So you're gonna be, you're gonna have the opportunity to do a lot of the same things that my, that my team writers got to do. So that's really how it how it all started. And I have a co-writer, Christina Kime, who's the head coach of the University of New Hampshire IHSA team and last year we just worked on it all year i had multiple five or six photo shoots and it has all come together and it was written all throughout the the past year in 2020 and this year has been a lot of editing and and pulling together all the last minute things and it's about to go out to the printer and it'll be published by Trafalgar Publishing in January of 22. So it's coming up finally. Wow. It's been been happening for so long. It's the times that I was pregnant. I only had to wait nine months. This has been like 18 (laughs) months. I'm ready for this baby to be born. Growing a big baby. (laughs) That's awesome.
0: I love Trafalgar Square Books. We've had so many authors from horse and rider books on the podcast. And I think that you're in really great company. And that's just like an amazing, uh, what we were just talking about, an amazing resource and website for hundreds of books, um, hundreds of horse-related books for people to learn more and to educate themselves.
1: Right. And I didn't even mention that. I just talked about tapping into people, but there are countless videos, online, there are books, so many books. And yeah, that, that's a great way that is easily accessed by everyone
0: chances are if you're listening to this you are a full-fledged equestrian and i love you for it but who of us wouldn't want to experience a full weekend in lexington kentucky at the kentucky horse park where you can learn you can be entertained you can shop for all things equestrian industry That sounds perfect, right? Well, this year, October 1st through 3rd, the Kentucky Horse Park is hosting Equitana USA, the very first Equitana event in the United States. It's a huge event over in Europe, so I am so happy that we now have one in the U.S. There will be trade shows. There will be amazing entertainment events. There will be some fantastic clinics with some of our top trainers and riders in the industry. So to find out more information and to grab your tickets while you can, visit their website at EquitanaUSA.com. That's E Q U. I-T-A-N-A U-S-A dot com Again, those dates are October 1st through the 3rd at the Kentucky Horse Park. Tickets are as low as $27 for adults, $10 for kids, and you can audit clinics, you can see everything you need to see at this amazing weekend event you can also be a part of the clinics as a rider find out more information on their website and how you can get plugged in in that way as well and get the full experience at Equitana USA again that website is equitanausa.com all right let's head back to the episode Kind of uh, switching gears a little bit, question for you because I'm a little curious, how much riding or saddle time do you currently have are you riding a lot are you are you spending i know you're super busy but right. tell me a little bit about that and then tell me about in your opinion the importance as an instructor as a trainer as a clinician for you to be riding and and, and also having a riding career as a trainer and what what your uh, kind of uh, opinion is about having having that dynamic to your
1: training Right well first first I'll say that that the first part of that answer is currently I do not ride very much. I have some back issues and I prefer like I'd rather be able to walk than ride. you know what I mean like mm-hmm. riding, especially the canner, I have a lot of like pelvis issues so that that is the hard part for me. The good part is that I do get my horse fixed when I go to these clinics and and all of that kind of thing. But I I I do still ride. I was last time I was in Hawaii in April, one of my clients said, Oh, I I lead the uh, trail rides at Turtle Bay. Do you want to come for a ride? Oh yes, I will be there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. And coming up, some friends and I are going to Utah uh, and I'm gonna be riding there. So I do ride occasionally, but but that's only in the past like eight years that I haven't been able to ride. So I, I spent a good 50, 52 years riding and, and expanding and I've done a little bit of everything. I, as I said, I Western saddle seat, jumping dressage, fox hunting, polo cross uh little side saddle, just kind of anything that came along. I, mm-hmm. I would, I would do it. So I, I, I think it's so important for professionals to keep riding and keep learning, and also, I would um, always pick up a new sport or learn a new activity because when you've been teaching riding, you forget what it's like to be a beginner, you forget what it's like to to do it for the first time. So mm-hmm. I learned how to row at Dartmouth, you know i I Learned how to play water polo. I mean, really, really crazy things. But it it's all part of my learning and growing. It, not only as a as an equine professional, but as a as a human being, right?
0: Yeah, definitely, Sally. You sound pretty athletic in general.
1: <laughs> I, you know what? I I do. I hike every single day. I did last year in COVID, I did these virtual, virtual challenges and like the ring of carry in Ireland is hundred or 200 miles. I forget how many miles and my Fitbit would, would track it on the app and then I'd get a medal at the end. So, so last year during COVID, I actually walked the equivalent of walking from New Hampshire to Florida. No way. Yes.
0: Wow. Yes. That's so
1: cool. Yeah. So so yes, it is uh, I need to a walk my dogs every day to keep them sane, but I just need to get out in the woods. I live in a gorgeous area and I don't need to go to a gym. I don't need to, you know, do anything inside. I get to walk right out the door and in the winter I ski and and I in the summer I also kayak and stand up paddleboard and and that kind of thing so Amazing. definitely.
0: Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I think that that's a really good point. It's just an in, it's just our sport is so interesting in that way where you look at a lot of other top sports that a lot of people know about and that are, you know, heavily televised and you look at a lot of the top coaches and they absolutely have experience in that sport and and know what they're doing and i think that's a big part of why trainers and coaches are successful in teaching but then at the same time i think with our sport there's sometimes this misconception that trainers need to be actively Riding, showing top of the level, you know, you know, day in and day out. Where Mm -hmm. I think that there are, there's a lot to be said about about focusing on training and kind of honing in on that skill set, and that right, the top trainers don't necessarily have to be top riders, just like how you see with some of our top coaches in other sports in the world.
1: Right, Right. and and also part of that, and I'm going to preface it by saying there are many top riders who are fantastic trainers. Yes, but there uh, sometimes those top riders are not the greatest trainers because they're they're naturally gifted. Yes, they've worked and worked and worked and worked to hone their craft and to hone mm-hmm. their skills. But, you know, we all know that that some people sit a horse better than others and and a lot of
0: it is feel too. Yeah. And if you have that so naturally, that's it's hard to verbalize.
1: Right, right. And and that that brings up an interesting point doing when we were writing my book, because Chris, my co-writer, would interview me. And a lot of when I'm teaching, I'll say, Okay, everyone, look at me. And then I use body language to describe things, right? And so I would be describing how your pelvis moved at the canner. And Chris is like, Chris would say to me. Okay, break that down, Sally. Put that into words, and I'm like, "Oh, my brain is gonna." Explode. You just do it. <laughs> it's not that you just do it. It's just that normally there, there's you know, I'm moving my body. I'm, I'm acting like the horse. I'm using my arms, and sure. So I had to just get rid of all of the body language and just put it into words. So. That, that was an exercise for me. Yeah. For sure.
0: But that's why you had a co-writer. So yes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's right. amazing.
0: Yeah, right. I love that. So Equitana is right around the corner. It's yes. like the first weekend of
1: October. Excited. And I know
0: you're going to be involved. Tell me a little bit about what you plan to do there.
1: Well, I'm doing a few things. I'm going to wear a few hats. So I'm having a booth in the trade fair. So I'm going to have my athletic equestrian booth. And I should probably explain that, that my business, Athletic Equestrian, actually started in 2010. And I started with the Athletic Equestrian League. I actually started a riding league for first to 12th graders and adults, and it's now also collegiate. But I started a riding league. I, I just got frustrated through the years with the system of equitation judging and how subjective it is. Sure. And I wanted to come up with a system of showing and competing that was more objective. So in the Athletic Equestrian League, riders are judged uh 40% on the flat or in horsemanship because it's both English and Western, 40% on fences or ground poles, or patterns, and 20% on an unmounted practicum. And that's where we use the the CHA, the Certified Horsemanship Association. We use their composite manual for all of our horsemanship questions. So I, I need to talk about that for a minute because coaches and trainers through my entire career have just complained about how we're losing the art of horsemanship, that that, you know, we've moved to cities and and kids don't know about how to take care of the horse and that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. So I made that 20% of my riding league score, but they are scored on the flat. They are scored uh, for the hunters, for the English side on the flat over fences and an unmounted practicum, And all three of those are scores. So they actually get a score on the flat and they get a score over fences, and and also for the fences, I was a little frustrated with with riders who would come to me who had done big Eck, but they halted standing up out of the saddle, or you know rode around the course up in their two point the whole time, and and so I've made my fences courses where. They'll jump two jumps and then they'll come down to the trot and change direction and then they'll jump another jump and then they'll have to halt. So you see what I'm saying? It's not just mm-hmm. go jump eight jumps
0: right
1: so that that's really how the league started and we're all over New England the league is all over New England and in Virginia and so I'm gonna be talking about the it's called the Athletic Equestrian League, the AEL in my booth. I'm also going to be providing information on my Athletic Equestrian Riding in College podcast that I've had going now since February. I'm going to be talking about my clinics, Sally Batten Equestrian Clinics, and I am also going to be selling some Athletic Equestrian apparel. And then I am going to be doing three presentations I'm doing a mounted clinic, which I'm very excited about because I've done lots of presentations before, but they've always been classroom. So I'm going to have a mounted clinic in the MISTI ring and it is going to be on Equisize, which is my next great endeavor. It is like mounted aerobics and I always when I was training my Dartmouth athletes all those years I they trained in the varsity gym but we didn't they would just come and we'd work on riding skills but I came up with a whole workout system on the horse and so I'm going to be doing a mounted clinic and I'm so excited I can hardly stand it (laughs) and I think that Equisize it, of course, it's going to be great for the young, younger rider and getting Mm -hmm. fitter for their competitions. But I, I think my biggest audience is going to be my amateur adults who just want to do a mounted fitness program and Mm -hmm. talk about, you know, when you do fitness programs, there's low impact. Well, this is like, no impact right because you're you're up off the ground Mm -hmm. but that's not to say that it's no work yeah my riders when they're doing equisize are sweating oh i (laughs) love it and i modify it for different levels so if you need to you can do these exercises at the walk but my my ultimate Dartmouth athletes were able to do the equisize program with no stirrups wow so they got the the mega exercise. mega workout. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I'm doing I'm also doing a classroom session called Riding in College, Studies, Saddles, and Showing. And I'm doing a classroom session called Athletic Equestrian, Ride Like a Varsity Athlete, which will be featuring a lot of the information from my book as well as some of the photos from the book. So I'm excited about all wow. three of those. I'm doing one on each day.
0: Nice. Oh, that's amazing. And for those listening who don't know a bunch about Equitana, it has been a huge live event that is going to be in the U.S. for the first time this Mm -hmm. year. It was supposed to be during COVID, but this will be the first live event, October 1st through 3rd in Kentucky. Um, And it just offers a ton of education and entertainment and kind of a trade fair atmosphere as well for riding equipment and apparel and horse care and supplies and things like that. So it's just like a huge, all-encompassing equestrian event. So it's right. it's very exciting that you get to be such a big part of it. Do you think you could share one of your favorite kind of like exercises or things that you plan to do for the, for the mounted session?
1: Sure. So as part of my Equisize, I have the riders. First of all, a lot of it is done in the two-point. Okay, so two point or jumping position. Yeah. Half Which
0: I think is such an underrated position.
1: Oh. Oh. Uh, like I like two point sometimes more than no stirrup work. Right, right. Well, y- y- yes, my my team spent a lot of time in two point. <laughs> so but one of the exercises is a lot of it is like counting down. So, So they would do five trot steps almost all of it is done at the trot by the way five trot beats in the two point and then five trot beats down in what I call a chest press which is a super super deep like your chest is almost on the the horse's mane and talk about max heels down you know your legs a little bit out in front of you just so that you don't goose the horse when you're going down into the chest press right so the rider would do five beats of uh two point five beats of chest press all around the ring and then you're taking away you start doing four beats of two point and then four beats of chest press for another circuit of the arena and then down to threes and then down to twos so it, it's amazing how fast your, your breath will, your, your respiration will increase and how fast you'll start sweating. Mm-hmm. And then there's, there's all kinds of arm exercises. I call them Popeye arms and stop sign and victory. And I have all kinds of things going on. So oh, everybody so come to Equitana. And if you can't get in as a rider, you can apply right now. To be a to be a rider in the clinic, but it, if not, come come watch it and audit because auditing watching it is included in your entry, you know, fee to get into the park. So
0: so cool. Oh, that yeah. is so exciting. Well, Sally, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and share a little bit. You do so much, and you are such a wealth of knowledge. So I'm so excited to see you at Equitana. But thank you so much again for coming on and sharing. And I wish you all the best.